Bucks got all the right steps in Charleston. They now can try their slipper and see if it fits at the big ball. These Tennessee State Buccaneers, they're dancing, boys and girls. Hunter Perea lays it up. 1.4. Perea hits it. The pass is caught. Ready for the game winner. Wide left. Bucks win. Nook is spotting for three. The place is going to erupt. Oh, Deuce Bellow. He's going to make Sports Center with an incredible. Jarvis Jones, the game winner, got it. Ball game. East Tennessee State's going to leave on another. They got him. If he catches it, it's over. Ball game. Touchdown, Jawan Stinson. 25 yards. J.J. German for the win. He got it. J.J. German and the Bucks have shocked the Bulldogs. And the. Uh. Hello? Bueller? 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 It's Sandoz in the... Don't do it. If you value our partnership, don't do it. We've been putting it in together five years. Don't do it. Mike. Don't, don't do it. Mike. Dude, who's there? Why'd you do it? Mike. Why? Why? To humiliate me? Boring. For what? No. No. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. No. No, 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 hell no, 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 I refuse, no, no. On the Buccaneers Sports Network. All right, good Thursday, Jay Sandoz alongside Matt Wilson. We do have him back. Popular demand, the folks spoke, they wanted Willie back in the booth. We've got him back. I don't know how long we'll do this, but we'll do it until uh, you can't do it no more, I guess. Well, I'm glad to be back, and thanks for the opportunity. Although, I don't know that the good luck turned out in our favor. That's true. If you lose again, you're out. Well, I'm thinking it was more of Hutzel doing the Ooh, color yeah. on the road more than me being here. I like that a quarterback blames another quarterback. Is that the first time you've ever blamed a quarterback for something? Probably not, no. I, bl- <laughs> I blame Jamie Chadwell and Todd Wells on a bunch of stuff. What about Jachavis Sanders? Did you ever uh, – Oh, Tavis? No, we were dogs. Okay. Well, was, you know, I need to know where we stand there. All right, uh, let's uh, break down the show real quick. We're going to talk Furman. Uh, we'll go in-depth uh, on them, on ETSU, the matchups. We'll give you all of our thoughts. Then we'll do four downs, maybe a little bit of a deeper dive into the uh, the factors, maybe the win, the losing. Segment three, we'll do a quick breakdown of the Southern Conference. Get, since there's not a lot of SoCon versus SoCon games. We'll do a brief, you know, sentence or two on that, move on. And then bold predictions where I'm going to have to uh, take a win away from Matt Wilgham uh, because I thought the game was in New England. It was in Miami. New England never wins in Miami. Uh, the Dolphins, I think, were favored by four points in that game. Matt gave me they're going to win straight. That's not bold. So I'm going to we'll, – we'll, we'll debate that later. But that being said, ETSU Furman, the one thing I do know is that the score is going to be around 17-13. How do you know that, Jay? Well, the last two games have been exactly 17-13, and the game before that was 17-10. So I'm just going to go with 17 uh, – I, mean, I can't go 17 and a 11 and three quarters or whatever that would be if you averaged it all out. So I'm going to round up to football numbers and go 17-13. Well, I think I can add to that and say it's going to be a close game and it's going to come down to a dramatic finish at the end. Well, and, and you can back that up with starting at 2018 – all four matchups, 18-19, spring of 21, 21, all of those one-score games, the 29-27 game, that was the uh, Austin Herring, um, you know, miracle in 2018. 2019, ETSU lost 17-10. Then the spring game lost 17-13, then won the fall game 17-13. Uh, and the interesting part, I think, about some of those scores was just how 
different the offense has struggled really both ways and so both defenses have defense coordinators been there a long time and we're going to get into this a little bit more but just an overarching thought on this and the offenses have really struggled for one reason or another even when there were somewhat of high-powered offenses and it's hard to believe that the 2018 game would have on you know the 29 27 was a lot more points than what we saw in 2019 certainly what we you know would have saw maybe in the spring and even last fall but i thought that game would have had more in it but the defenses really did a nice job both teams had a lot of sacks for some turnovers um and really just kept the offenses at bay and i think to add to that every year there's been a quarterback change or a controversy of some sort you go to austin herrick coming back in to re, you know retake the starting position go back to last year tyler rydell was struggling but he got steely-eyed there at the end and led for the victory you had jace wilson for them starting last year he's not starting this year so uh, although the defensive coordinators have been there and a lot of the same faces you've seen a little bit of uh, revolving door at the quarterback position yeah and, and, you know 2018 there was a lot of discussion which quarterbacks they were going to play actually, ironically coming off of clemson week uh, the, the game before which um, we'll get into that too because it's the same sort of scenario seems like etsu always seems to play Furman on a night race after they play clemson i don't know how that always works out but then you look at hampson started in the spring game and then in the fall it was jace wilson now you've got the transfer tyler huff so there are similarities where the Defenses have been pretty stingy, and a lot of uh, Southern Conference all-teamers, uh, you know, you look at Adrian Hope was an All-American one year for Furman, so there's a lot of defensive accolades going around. The offenses built on normally power running games, but both offenses have changed this year. Yeah, and, and so you're seeing a, a different style that the defensive coordinators are going to have to adjust to, and I think that's going to be the interesting part. You know, let's just go ahead and get into it. Uh, this is a unique game in that there's so much overlap here that uh, I think that's what makes it so surprising, right? So our head coach used to play for them and, and be their offensive coordinator. Our offensive line coach now was their offensive line coach a year ago. Our offensive line coach a year ago is there now, right? And so you've got all of this uh, uh, crossover. And then, you know, let's add to it these defensive coordinators have been here for so long no one's going to be surprised right i think it's really going to come down to who is going to execute better and who uh is just going to out athlete the other side so i talked to coach hendricks uh, that we're going to run on the the pregame show and uh, asked him a couple of questions and i said you know etch has got to prepare for a little bit different offense although coach corals and, and coach duke clearly know the offensive personnel I was like, but your defense coordinator's been there since ETS. He's brought football back, so there's known stuff there. And I said, it's got to be similar on your end. And he was like, well, correct, because we've looked at tape of what you guys did. We know your offense personnel. Plus, Coach McCutcheon only knows your offense personnel, especially the line. But he went up against Billy Taylor every single day. So there's a, a, an interesting dynamic in this game that I think doesn't exist hardly ever. It, it, it's not totally unusual that you see an offense coordinator get a head coaching job maybe in the same league. Uh, it's not common, but it's not It's not totally – we've not seen it before. But to have that plus the offensive line coaches swap I think is unique. Yeah, it, it is. And let's go ahead and add to it just the dynamic of uh, where ETSU, where state school, their Furman kind of private school, and, and there's this uh, – whether it's accurate or not, it's it's fun to play up, is 
they kind of come in with their chest out a little bit more and, and, and with my twin brother who played football at a Division III uh, uppity private school up north, we would, I would kid around with them and say, you know, hey, we're, we're DePaul. We're just better than everybody else. And uh, that's kind of the joke about Furman is, you know, they're Furman, they're private. It's just a, it's a, it's, it's almost kind of two different classes going at it. And in football, you kind of want to be that, that, um, you know, lunch pail, get down and go to work type of team. And not only do you have that dynamic going on, but you've got the crossover in the coaching staff. And so it's going to be a great game. I know it's the night race on Saturday. And if you're not going to the night race, you know, we're such big fans of BMS around here. If you're not going to the night race, certainly want you at the ETSU game on Saturday. So let's talk a little bit about um, Furman first, and then we'll kind of work back to ETSU and the Citadel, or at least a, a two-game breakdown. I just got a little better sample size. Offensively for Furman – it's going to look to ETSU fans a little similar. They're not doing any three-back. That is all gone. Um, they are doing a very little, but there is a little bit of option element as far as either you're talking RPO, you're talking you know, a read option, uh, or you know, they do have an element of a speed option uh, that they can do as well, similar, again, to what ETSU, kind of the options that they run now. Four wide, Wayne Anderson Jr. was a tailback. They moved him out. To a slot, you look at Ron Miller, uh, who's an All-American tight end. I would argue, though, if you look at his size and everything, he's he's a wide receiver playing as tight end, and that helps. But in the same token, he had 13 catches against Clemson. Against who? Clemson. Clemson. 13. They, they, they watching them on film. There, I, if I'm just a bystander to football, I really like what I see. They're able to line you up. They spread you out. And they'll throw the ball all over the field. And at the same time, they're going to hit you with running the ball out of the shotgun. And I like their speed option game. Their quarterback, Huff, he's you know, he's not blazing fast, but he can move. And he's really dangerous if you're going to catch the defense off balance. Uh, guys, we've got, a, we've got a challenge ahead of us on Saturday. A good football team is coming in here. You look at Huff, and the one thing I was impressed by in the first quarter – he, he did a nice job to, number one, um, know where the rush is coming from. So he's seen a lot of football, right? He's been able to understand that. Two, kind of escape, the, the escapability, the elusiveness to keep either play alive or a 8-10 yard sack is a one-yard gain, you know, and, and you, you save 11, you know, 8, 9, 11 yards as opposed to minus 8. Well, and we'll get into this, but but where that really shows up is on third down conversions. And I just – I like watching him on film just from a quarterback perspective. He's not afraid to stick his nose in there. He likes to throw the ball over the field. He looks like a quarterback that is playing backyard football. He's just an athlete. He likes mixing it up out there. He's full of confidence. Uh, he's a transfer quarterback, and I think we'll see this a lot going forward. But he transferred from, uh, I guess it was Presbyterian last year. This is a guy that threw for 10 touchdowns in a single game. That's an NCAA record. It is a record. And so here's a guy that knows how to sling the ball all over the field. Uh, I, did, I wasn't surprised to see him throwing the ball in film. I was surprised to see him running the ball, and I think that really makes him a dynamic quarterback. Uh, and he's he's not afraid to put the ball in the air, and I think um, you know we're going to have to take advantage of that. You look at the skill position guys, and you have to start with quarterback because he does do a little bit of everything. Ryan Miller is a two-time All-American, uh, Walter Payton, you know, watch list guy. Um, you look at Dominic Roberto, who's 240-pound tailback that they'll get in the pistol and just get downhill as quick as they can. Wayne Anderson Jr. was a tailback who's 
can catch the football. They get five career catches against ETSU, so they were throwing the ball to him anyways. Got him in slot, figure out how to get him speed in space. Kendall Thompson's a kid that can uh, really get going as well. Ronda Luca, maybe they haven't replaced him from last year, but other than that, four of the five offensive linemen back. There's a lot of returners, new system, but there's a lot of returners that saw a lot of action and skill position wise. Furman is not lacking. No, they they, they look like athletes across the field. And anytime you have an offensive change, like in, as we're seeing, the question is, will they adapt and adjust? And the two games that we saw on film, one would be North Greenville, and, and they just clearly outclassed them. And it was it was difficult to judge how well they had a, adapted just because it seemed like everything they did worked. And was that just an athlete deal, or was that a that they really grasped the offense? I think it shows up on the Clemson film when they outgained Clemson offensively. They ran the ball well. They threw the ball well. They had sustained drives for scoring. So this is a team that's coming in, uh, I think, feeling pretty good about themselves, and we're going to have to play our best defensively to be able to slow down this very potent Furman Paladin offense. So defensively, I think the biggest issues for um, – Coach Taylor, I know he'll wrinkle up some stuff. Number one, Matt McCutcheon's seen about everything that Billy Taylor can throw at him, blitz package, recon, some other stuff. The second thing is I think ETSU the last several years have had a hard time. If there is a quarterback, not necessarily just a, a like a Tyree Adams who was just a absurd athlete, not, not even saying that. I'm talking like the Devlin Hodges and stuff that can move enough, that can escape enough. ETSU – has seemed to have a hard time of keeping those guys in the pocket on some of those blitz packages and giving up third down runs. This could be the biggest challenge they've had this year. It it, it really is, and I, I think it's going to come down to this. And and this this will sound a little silly, but tackling is going to be key for us. But specifically tackling in one on one scenarios because they're going to spread you out, and by definition, we're going to be in one on one tackling. And when we get the opportunity. Uh, to to come up and hit someone, it's not it can't be just a hit. We have to be able to take them to the ground because they're going to spread us all out. They're going to look to get Ryan Miller down the seam. You're going to look to get those talented running backs the ball, get them on the edge. Uh, we're going to have to tackle in between the tackles, and and when they spread you out, we'll have a guy in position to make the tackle. The question is. Will we be able to do it? And if and Billy Taylor likes to bring pressure. He likes to bring that additional defender uh, on a blitz. And when you do that, by definition, you are moving folks into uh, one-on-one scenarios on the outside. So when we when we bring a blitz, we better get home. And when we get home, we better wrap up the quarterback and take him to the ground. And ETSU in 2018 was able to get a turnover safety things to help out last year big turnover zach west in the red zone able to make a a a big play defensively who's going to be that guy to make the big play you assume the easy ones are going to be mike price elijah huzzy but can they force a fumble something like strip sack something like that something to flip the field yeah not only can we but we we have to I think uh, the quarterback Huff likes he likes to challenge at least the film I saw he likes to put the ball in the air in challenging situations and so when the ball's in the air the question is who wants to go get it and I think athletically we match up on the outside 
really well. I think we're athletic in, in our in our secondary. The question is, can we go up and go get the ball? And to win, I think we're going to have to create turnovers. You look on the flip side, defensively, um, Furman lost some key pieces from last year. One of the, the big ones back is Travis Blackshear again. Uh, could be a preseason. I know he's all SOCOM, but he's got a chance to be an All-American. He led uh, the league in interceptions a year ago, five. He's got eight or nine career. Um, Kelly Chizik has an interception return for a touchdown. Furman's been able to force some stuff. They had six sacks against ETSU a year ago. They figured up, excuse me, they figured out a way uh, to blitz, and it was coming off, I want to say it was coming off that Chattanooga game, and so Chat maybe gave him a little bit of a blueprint on how to get there, but still six sacks and a few of those guys that had two sacks apiece still on that roster. Yeah, and that is, if I'm game planning against ETSU and I see the two games that we've put on film, they're going to pressure us. They're going to they're they're going to pressure offensive line, and they're and they're going to look to put uh, Tyler Rydell on his back. And here's why: we've we've not been able to create a big push out of our offensive line, and two, Tyler has shown a propensity to hold on to the ball a little longer than we've needed to him needed him to. And I think they're going to take it. They're going to try and take advantage of that on both sides. And so um, they they have a unique defense. They start out cover two on most plays. Uh, they will mid-snap, they will bring one of those top two safeties down into either cover three or man. And so what does that mean? Well, easiest way to put it is this. In cover two, you've got two guys up top, and that forces the, the, the folks underneath, the six or seven players underneath, they have to stop the run. And oftentimes you'll have man-on-man and you know even blocking in those scenarios. Well, when they bring down that extra defender to be a run blocker, now they've got a numerical advantage against us. And so we, we're going to have to beat that guy, right? And what they're doing is they are trying to get a numerical advantage against us before we can hurt them throwing the ball. So if someone's playing, if they're dropping down an extra man and essentially playing a cover three, They've, they've committed eight guys essentially to the line of scrimmage, and the way you get them out of it is you've got to throw them out of it. Well, the question is, can we throw it faster than they can get to us at the quarterback level? Uh, if they stay back in cover two, we're going to be handing the ball off to Jacob Saylors a lot. And so it's going to be that cat-and-mouse game of them trying to come down uh, or are they trying to play back and just say, okay, hey, ETSU, you haven't been able to run the ball too well this year. We're going to make you beat us running the ball okay so let's go a little more schematically here that you can help explain better than i can both teams are three four base Mm -hmm. both like to walk up the outside linebacker so you get an even man front it's a stand-up end if you will glorified stand-up defensive end really an outside linebacker just because of traditionally they're going to play there maybe in coverage more than another both teams will rotate two deeps quite a bit especially um, even three deep sometimes at the defensive line two deeps at the linebackers what I want to ask you, though, on the because Furman will do more even front, four-man fronts to look like a 4-3 as opposed to a 3-4, even though, again, if you look at still a linebacker. Talk about how that changes. You're a quarterback. You're sitting there. There's a lot of you know odd 3-4, and all of a sudden you get the, the even looks 4-3. How does that change? Yeah, so when you have a 4-3 front, you're right. It's an even front, and, and what that means is, for, for those keeping track at home, for, you've got a You've, uh, you've got a head-up Mike linebacker, and so it's balanced. You've got a balanced uh, front, and then that way 
you are able to, for, as a defense, you can play both sides of the field really well. When they bring an extra man down, now you go into, uh, you've got more men on one side of the ball than the other. And that's where you get to the even and odd fronts. It's really, uh, is the defense balanced or unbalanced on one side of the ball? Well, how are we adjusting to that imbalance? Are they trying to bring four four rushers to one side where we've only got three blockers, so on and so forth? So Tyler Rydell, who's really good at checking plays, has to identify what is the defense giving you. And there's a phrase that says, just take, don't try to do too much. Take what the defense gives you and go ahead and convert that down. And so what Tyler has to do is recognize where's the pressure coming from, because this is a defense that wants to bring pressure. Where's that pressure coming from? And can you either get the ball to the other side of the field or can you adjust and make an audible to take advantage of that? And so, you know, have we developed offensively enough now to be able to not only recognize the defense, but make those audibles and get us into the right play? Uh, that that remains to be seen, and I think uh, this is going to be Tyler Rydell's biggest challenge of the year. So now I'm going to ask you to put on the Coach Hendricks hat. You're firm, and you've got two game films of ETSU offensively. How do you think you can attack the Bucks? So th- if I'm game planning, this is what I would do. I would force us into third and long situations. And so what that means is I'm going to commit my front on first and second down to stopping the run. Stop the run, get us into – to clearly third and long situations where we have to throw the ball and then you can play games from there. Do you bring pressure? Do you drop? That type of stuff. So my goal, if I'm Hendricks, is to get us into third and long situations. So let me throw this at you because it seemed like early in the first, and again it was only three possessions for ETSU in the first half against the Citadel, so it's really hard to quantify some of this. And one was a three and out. So the other one ended at the one-yard line, the other one was a touchdown. Uh, It seemed like second half early – ETSU recognized stacking the box, a lot of quick throws because the secondary not wanting to get burnt because they're stacking the box. We're giving those eight, ten-yard throws. ETSU was able to get down the field kind of the quick game work does the run game. Take what the defense gives you. If they're committing to the box, get the ball outside quick and 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 uh, just take what they give you and piece together a 10, 12, 15-play drive. If uh, the other way that you can get out of it is through play-action pass, right? They're committing to the run. Show them run, pull up, and throw the ball. Well, the, that sounds great in theory. In reality, can you get the ball out quick enough? That's the question. Um, if we can, if we can develop that that play action pass and get it over the top of their heads, we're going to be in great shape. If we don't give Tyler Rydell enough time to throw the ball, it could be a long day. So, and I think ETSU did it again. Uh, I didn't go back and count it, but just thinking about as you said that I do feel like there was more play action in game two than it was game one again I felt like it was a vanilla game one game two we saw some more kind of wrinkles the other thing is and we've not talked about this but all three running backs that would have been behind Jacob Sailors normally Juwan Martin the fullback then you look at Bryson or you look at Trey Foster I think it limited what coach Nugabauer could do I think it limited how much on the perimeter they got Jacob Sailors wanted to quote unquote protect him I think some but that things they didn't want to wear him out because they needed him to run between the tackles because they needed a run game yeah and for just a great uh, listen on this I'd encourage folks to go back and listen to your podcast earlier this week with Robert Harper I guess that was on Tuesday 
uh, Monday or Tuesday, he, the, you guys did a great job of highlighting what the absence of having multiple backs behind Jacob Saylor's meant. And you go back to the previous years, we always had uh, Quay and Jacob dispel each other, but also that, that would give you different looks. We committed 100% on on uh, Jacob last week, and he did a great job, had over like 180 yards rushing, but he had to carry a lot of the load, and and we became a little bit one-dimensional running the ball. And and like you guys said, you know, tell me we don't get into the end zone if we've got Jawan Martin in, as a fullback, and, and we got five shots from the four-yard line. So the famous um – Tyree Robinson, uh, Robert Harper at VMI, chest bump or whatever it was on the sideline, that was the one game where Sailors didn't go. And we thought we'd see Bryce and Irby, and we didn't. It was Quay Holmes, and we talked to him after the game, and we asked him about the game plan. He said, Coach told me he didn't want 30-yard runs. He wanted seven, eight-yard runs. And I felt like you saying that reminded me of that game just that second, but I kind of felt like that's what they told Sailors. Now, obviously, he ripped off a 54-yard touchdown. They didn't say don't score, and if Quake would have scored if he would have scored, but it was like, hey, we just, you know, if you can get seven, eight yards and we're moving the change and taking care of the football, we need more of that, and you can stay in the game longer and you can be more effective as opposed to some of the other things. Because he only came out one play, and Adrian Johnson, I think, and, and not Adrian's fault, but he got a carry in the fourth quarter when pretty much I think everybody knew Adrian's going to get the ball and he got a yard. Right, and and that's the game within the game that, that most fans don't see and understand, but it also highlights how important it is to have depth at, at any position, even when you've got someone as talented as, as Jacob Saylor's here. So I think uh, – uh, I think that that same thought process holds true for us. The, our offensive system is not looking for, you know, the 50-yard runs, breaking a big one. Our offensive system is really built for being um, keeping the defensive team honest, not being able to just throw everyone back into coverage. And when you've got a running back that can pick up six, seven, eight yards a carry – you have to be able to respect that. So you've got to bring that extra man down, which again turns up opens up your passing game, which makes you more successful from from the quarterback perspective, and it just feeds on itself. All right, let's just say you're Coach Hendricks. You're coming up with an offensive game plan. Where do you think, if you're Furman, they could attack the Bucks? Well, it's almost it's the exact opposite of what we looked at. I, they want to keep us off balance on defense that's going to be their goal because they can throw the ball over the field but if we force them to uh, become one-dimensional then that takes away their surprise Um, they run the ball well they pass the ball well and they want to keep us off balance so uh, I would anticipate that they're going to do uh, just the opposite of of what um, we don't want them to do to us on the offensive side of the ball and, and that's this I think they're going to throw some play action to us on first down that will soften up our defensive front so that they then can get into a situation where they are uh, able to run the ball well out of shotgun. So look for them Look for them to throw play action early and uh, look for them to try to get the ball to Ryan Kelly down the middle of the field. When you've got someone going down the middle of the field, that's when you have to be able to get more guys into coverage. And so I, I think they'll they'll do that. Play action early, get the ball to – I said Ryan Kelly, but Ryan um, – Miller. Brian Miller down um, the middle of the field early. So special teams, I think, uh, obviously, Trace Kelly taking over the punting duties. Furman lost a great punter in Timmy Bleak Road. He's now punting at Nebraska. And so um, each team working with a new punter. The field goal kickers are back, both great. Tyler Keltner, uh, LaPro for um, – uh, Furman uh, 
great leg. I think he's perfect on the season from field goals and, and extra points. So kicking game could come down to just the coverages. And last week, you know, week one we saw ETSU great in all those facets. Last week gave up a big punt return. Yep. We were out of position last week, and it hurt us, and it hurt us at a really critical time. And I think going back and watching the film – uh, um, Coach Quarles is going to emphasize there. You can't take any plays off, and in a in a series that has a long history of being one possession games, the best way to the best way to flip the field is in the special teams, um, and I think this is going to be very critical for us to be able to execute. We, we're going to have to execute at all levels come Saturday. You're other thoughts I've not touched on of this game yeah I think um, um, let's see here I had a couple of notes here um, I think third down we'll, we'll get into this on four downs but I think uh, third down is going to be key for us uh, actually on both sides of the ball getting them off the field and for us getting into third and short situations I think that's going to be uh, I think that's going to be key for us. Uh, on that specific thing, too, both teams, as, as a lot of teams do, they've got the different packages. But ETSU really, a lot of the hybrid guys come in. Firm and not so much as far as the defensive line, but they've got a couple of specialists that they can put at the linebacker that, you know, go pin your ears back, go, go get a sack. And they were able to do that last year with six of them. Yeah, and, and the one thing that Furman does well is they, they rotate across the field. They've got – I think they had six running backs touch the ball last week at, at uh, Clemson. Defensively, they rotate out really well. And the only way you do that is with depth. And then when you get folks into uh, one-dimensional situations, that's when you can pin your ears back and, and really go get them. And that's what Furman's good at. And that's what you get when you've got a, a defensive coordinator that's been out of place for a long time. ETSU 9-1 and one in night games. Uh, the last home loss they had was the spring game to Furman. They've won nine consecutive. And then uh, one other fun note, and I hope Robert's listening to this, but uh, ETSU and SoCon home openers, they are 20-11 and 11 in the previous 31. Um, they're four of six since we joined the league in 2016. The Bucks have played Furman and one and two in those matchups and home openers all time, not just since 2016. Uh, ETSU's won the last two SoCon openers. They beat Wofford and Sanford. The Blue and Golds won six straight SoCon home openers from 92 to 97, five straight 86 to 90, including the mashing of Marshall, 38-17, 1990. Get some, Robert. So uh, I, I know he did extensive research to uh, point out some other flaws in ETSU versus Marshall, but uh, he can't take that away from us. So. Facts are facts. That's right. That's all you got. All right, so let's get to our ever-popular Four downs. One, two, three. Four. One, two, three. Four. One, two, three. Four. One, two, three. Four. One, two, three. Four down. One, two, three. Four. One, two, three. Four. One, two, three. Four. One, two, three. Four down. Four down. Four down. Four, 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 four down. We're not getting rid of Mike that easy, buddy. Four downs. He put a lot of effort into that. Might as well still use it. First down. All right, first down with Matt Wilgham. Heads up. Yep, heads up, chest out. Don't let Citadel beat you twice. Uh, the bigger challenge, the more the more athletic team is right in front of us. Everything we want is still in front of us. Just don't let last week beat you. I think that's number one. So you have a, a chest out uh, earlier about the uh, snooty private schools, I believe is how you worded that. I don't, maybe you didn't. But uh, the private schools, now you've got a, a chest out uh, let one week go because – that's kind of a curious question. How do you feel 
both teams it's easy to look at and go, okay, Clemson, that's, that's a good loss. You outgained them. You held them seven points. It's 35-12. You tissue bad loss. Is it a situation where it's that simple, or is it because we know Furman hates Clemson? I mean, they both wear purple, which is – who does that, uh, second of all? Uh, that was first of all. Second of all, uh, is it a situation where they pump so much into that game that they could have just a letdown because, again, they were in – it wasn't like they were ran out of the building there. I mean, they were in the game, had some things. So you could look at it a couple different ways. Yeah, I think letdown is natural there. And they look at it and go, hey, this is a team that just got beat by Citadel. They're not that good. We, we went and hung with Clemson at Clemson. You know, we're really the team that's going to come in here and be the favorite, and we should be able to walk over them. I think that's a very real scenario. The other side is, you know, you never want to attack a wounded animal because you, you don't know what how they're going to respond. You got to you got to believe that they're come they're going to come out fighting. And I think that is the other thing that uh, Clemson may be or um, Furman may be cognizant of is, hey, ETSU is going to come out fighting mad. And we better be ready for it. So I think uh, both scenarios are very likely. Second down. The three best words to an offensive coordinator is? Third and short. Third down will be absolutely critical for us. And a short third down conversions come from long first down plays. I think, as we had mentioned earlier, it's going to be critical for us that we get uh, ha- have positive yardage on first down. And I don't mean one or two. I, we don't need to look at second and eight. We really need to look at second and five, second and six, so that pick up a couple yards there. And we're looking at third and two, third and three. Uh, and then the whole playbook's in front of us. But if we get into a situation where we're looking at third and long situa- third and long scenarios, they're going to pin their ears back and they're going to bring pressure against us. And I would assume the next best words would be second and short. <laughs> yeah, this is second and short <laughs> would be even better. <laughs> All yeah. right, uh, so that's second down. Third down. Third down. And I don't. <clears throat> that's my ball. <laughs> nice, nice voice, and that and that is a reference to the Debo character on Friday, where he's stealing the bike. Our defense did not create a turnover last week. The way to stymie their powerful offense is to create turnovers, especially in their passing game. We match up well athletically. I think it really just comes down to this. The question is, who wants the ball more? Fourth down. Red zone, very simple. Yeah, very simple here. Uh, No question we have room for improvement here. Both teams can move the ball on offense. I think the victor on Saturday is the team that wins the red zone. Like uh, Will Huzzy said, Red zone comes down to heart. Just who wants it more? We didn't convert last week. I, th- I think it clearly cost us the game. This week, you got two good offenses. You got two good defenses. The, both teams are going to get the ball into the red zone. At that point, who just wants it more? Didn't score on the first and goal from the two, and then it ended up being second and goal from the one, third and goal from the one, fourth and goal from the inch line or whatever. Didn't get it. Then you look at the interception right we started the drive on the 13 yard line and then kind of forgotten until coach Gore brought up it wasn't technically red zone but ETSU had a first down at the 21 yard line and then the penalty on Blake Austin backed them up they end up having to punt the football there's three I know it's not a true red zone but there's three glorified opportunities from the 21 are in right and and could teams convert in the red zone and we we just didn't and I think under even though we didn't play our best we convert on one of those and the ball, we, we get a win. On one of those conversions, one of those red zone attempts, we get we convert on one of them, we win the ball game. And, and I 
talked to Coach Quarles about this um, Monday in the Coach Show. I talked to Robert Harper on the podcast. I feel like that first touchdown, only because Citadel comes out nice uh, wrinkle, pass play, big down the middle. They get a field goal. ETSU right down to the one they score at 7-3. Well, they got stopped fourth in inches. That already, but it was right there where the cadets were. And you could just feel, even in the booth, the energy level just got turned up. So if that happens, I think that's a – just that one, I think that's a whole different dynamic. So so this is often said, in any football game, there are five or six plays that determine the outcome of the game. And I think that goal line stand on fourth and goal from the inch line truly was one of those. Because what it sent to Citadel is the belief that – we can win. The, we can. We can be this. Uh, beat this ETSU team, this number eight ranked team in the nation, conference champions. Yada yada. We believe we can win, and at that point, I feel like they believe that they can win. And you know what? They went out and did it. Breakdown. Five, five, four, four, three, three, two, one, one. Sandoz and the sidekick. We have ignition. No sidekick. Drop it on. Here we go. Love it. All right, let's break down the Southern Conference. There's only one conference game. We'll save that for the very end. Citadel Mercer. Wofford, the hapless Terriers have gone eight straight quarters without a point, and now they've got to go to Virginia Tech at Blacksburg for an 11 a.m. At least it'll be over early because it's going to be over quickly. Will they score a point, Matt Wilgham, simply? Will they get on the board? Negative. I don't know they're going to get on the board next week, Kansas State. They're going to go a full month. I, I don't know that. Th- they may have a hard time getting across the 50. God. Well, we've been there one time. <laughs> that's right. Matter of fact, it was against Wofford. <laughs> that's hard to, that's, listen, I'm not going to forget the very first play. Michael Kane drew up from the from like the eight-yard line, and Herrick threw about a 50-yard strike, and Vinny Lowe was by himself, and I think it was one of the rare drops he ever had, and that was the only time we had close to the 50-yard line. We had been there before Wofford. I don't know. I hope it never gets better for you. It did for us, but we hope it never gets better for you. All right, Cornell VMI. Um, Cornell's not played yet because they only play the 10-game schedule in the Ivy League, and, of course, they don't participate in the playoffs because it's too much on the schooling, but yet there's only 10 games compared to baseball plays like 40 games, 60 games, and they play in the play. Anyways, um, I could go on Ivy League a lot. I don't understand it, but Cornell's not played yet. VMI's got two. The crazy part about the key debts right now, if you look at it, there's only a seven-yard difference in their rush game and their pass game. It seems like they are very much more committed this season. I don't know out of necessity, personnel, whatever it is, to the run than the pass. Will they continue, not just this game, but the rest of the season, to stay balanced, or do you think they'll get back to who they are? No, I think they have to stay balanced athletically. They are not – they don't – Udemski, those guys back there, they don't have the same personnel that they've had in the past where they could afford to be one-dimensional. I think you have to – and I'm a fan of it, but I think you have to be – Balanced, they will continue to be balanced. A quarterback wants to throw. Shocking. Uh, Leroy Thomas, I think, could have a breakout game in that one, the wide receiver uh, for VMI. And I do think VMI wins that contest. Presbyterian at Western Carolina. I think Western Carolina and the speed is showing. Carlos Davis, you think it's an easy put it in the books, 300 or more yards? Lock that in. That's the lock of the week. North Alabama at Chattanooga. Chattanooga's found a quarterback that's led to some high-powered offense. He's a dual-threat guy, and we'll talk about – well, we talked a little bit about him on Tuesday. I'll go more in-depth when we break it down. Uh, North Alabama, Chattanooga on the next show next week. But with that high-powered offense, to go with the stingy defense, do you see any way North Alabama slows them down? And I'm not saying you know maybe gets routed, but but is in it at the very end. 
Yeah, UTC is firing on a lot of cylinders right now, and I don't think they're. I don't think they have. They've perfected anything yet, but they but they look good. They play the part, and North Alabama just they're not they're not going to be able to compete on Saturday. All right, Samford is at Tennessee Tech. Old ETSU alum coach Dwayne Alexander there. Um, will the Bulldogs? be able to bounce back after the other Bulldogs, the Georgia Bulldogs, the team you may have slightly heard of, shut them out. Do you think they're? You think this is one of those where they're just going to come out kind of spit mad and angry and throw a lot of points on the board? Yeah, that, that's the scenario that I – that's an easy, from a coaching standpoint, to say, hey, Georgia's the number one team in the nation. Guys, you, you did your part. You did everything you could. Let's put that behind us. Let's go beat the next guy in front of us. I think this is a team that's going to be able to go execute, and, and they're going to put some um, – that scoreboard may run out of lights. So – Wofford is going to go to play an FBS, so you take that out. The other non-conference games, VMI, Cornell, Chattanooga, North Alabama, Sanford, Tennessee Tech, I believe all the SOCON teams will be favored. I believe they will all win. Western Presbyterian stepped down from FCS, so that should be a win for West Carolina no matter what. Looked like it could be a good week for the SOCON. Um, then you have a couple of conference games, ETSU Furman, we've already talked about. Citadel Mercer. Last year, Mercer just routed Citadel. I went and looked at the stats and really it was three turnovers by the citadel kind of did them in but they got routed 34 7 so the question is and mercer had a great week one then they play auburn i mean it's, you play auburn it's fine do you think mercer is going to have a repeat of of close to that 30 not exactly but have a route type game or do you think the citadel has found somewhat of a winning recipe not hating on Citadel, but I think you'll see a reversion to the mean there. I think um, they there'll be three games on film. They'll be able to go out and execute, and you know, not trying to take anything away from Citadel. We didn't play our best game last week, and they ended up with the victory. I, I think when and Citadel, that is a road game for the Citadel too, so that's even and that's, tougher. That's the other yeah. thing to throw on it. I, I think if you, uh, I think Citadel's best game doesn't beat Mercer's best game. Shohei Otani. I don't know if you heard this yet. He's going to pitch and hit. Mark it down there. Plus 10 ERA. Hit a buck 20 max. There's not a soul that can stop the big three in New Jersey. That's in five, baby. Literally, the last person on earth that should ever be considered for the U.S. national team is JaVale McGee. NIL stands for never in life, as in never in life will NIL be a real thing. No, you can't. You cannot show me one guy more dedicated to the university than Damari Monsanto. He will go down as one of the best to ever do it at ETSU. A newly fit Jay Sandoz will never scuff another drive in Johnson City. I dropped 160 pounds. Mike Gallagher, I'm doing Here great. Here we come. Doing great without you, guy. Ah, I talked to Mike the other day. He's doing good up there. So, oh, we'll try to we'll let him get settled in a few more weeks. Maybe we'll have Mike do a uh, reappearance. Well, it's mid-September, so is winter started in Minnesota yet? It's Probably about now. Yeah, yeah. I, that's the one thing when ETSU hosts North Dakota State. Uh, I, I threw it out there. I don't know if anybody else wants to throw it back, but generally there's that FCS game. It kicks off the year. Now, this year they had a fake FCS game because Jacksonville State is technically FCS, but they got the 85 scholarships and are not eligible for the playoffs, and they played Stephen F. Austin. I would love to play North Dakota State in August, and I know the fans may not like the uh, 1 o'clock afternoon game, but I want to get them 97 degrees 
one o'clock. Sorry, fans that are cooking uh, out in the stands, but uh, I feel like you put the heat, you put all that. Big advantage, ETSU. Now, nobody else is on board with this but me. Listen, I'll take it because we, okay. we would need any advantage. I got two guys. We need any advantage we can get over North Dakota State. Well, let's talk about bold predictions. Last week, uh, let's recap it. Very, I already recapped it, but I'll do it again. Uh, ETSU-USA would score defense touchdown. Did not happen. I said Sanford would score a touchdown, be better in Oregon. Didn't happen. Oregon's at least three points better than Sanford. Um, I don't know what I said for a third one. I don't remember. Um, no, what, um, now, I saw your handwriting, and it, it's – Maybe the worst handwriting I think I've ever seen. That, no, that's 100% true. But it, it, it had the word Miami in there. What did, what did you have? I didn't have Miami. You didn't have Miami? No. You had the Pats beating I, I, Miami by 14, I, if I remember that. This is not ring a bell. You got the points right. <laughs> this is not ring a bell. You got the points right, but it was the winner. The, the, where the W mm-hmm. went. Are you having a good time over there? I can I tell. Am. Okay. I am. All right, so you said Miami would win. Of course – I said they'd I, win. They'd take it to the Pats. They'd win big. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna since since Matt's new. I'm gonna let him have one. So so Matt is gonna be one and two here. Uh, he did miss the shutout of Citadel, which yeah. went out the board very quickly. Yeah, that, that was that was gone quickly. I <laughs> the was, uh, first draw field goal. Yeah, I was disappointed uh, in that. But in fairness, you did put a caveat on there that if ETSU could stop him on the first drive more than likely because that's what's happened there's a lot of times etsu's given up points on the first drive and not giving up points the rest of the time uh now you were close you were closer than you probably thought on this one the 400 plus yards of offense 100 rushing for sailors who got there 250 for Roddale wasn't there but he wasn't like astronomically away from it no it it, it was i was actually that turned out to not be too much and, of a bold prediction and i'll say this too um he missed anaj carter would have been about a 40 yard pickup and then he missed him for about a 20-yarder where a notch kind of slipped. Those two not yet on the same page. But that leads me to my first bold prediction. It's called foreshadowing, Matt. Here we go. I'm going to Naj Carter. will have his first touchdown in the Buccaneer uniform this week against the Furman Palins. Anaj for six. Would not surprise me when we talked to uh, Coach Neugebauer. He said, hey, this is going to be a name that everyone's going to know by the end of the season. I'd love for it to come out this week. What is your first bold prediction? You know, I, I said that uh, we're going to have to be able to execute on both sides of the ball. I think, and, and turnovers are going to have to play into this. So here's my first bold prediction. A touchdown each for the Cousins Huzzy. The law firm of Huzzy and Huzzy find the end zone. Yep. So pick six on defense. And just a good or, or, or punt return. Or punt I'll, return. I'll, I'll even give you that. Okay. I'll give you punt return or INT for life. Okay, so touchdown each for Cousins Huzzy. Wow. All right. Did my, uh, do you have another ETSU one? I don't. Okay, I don't either. All right, so I got an ETSU tie, though. Uh, and I will read this on air tomorrow, but I was talking to Coach uh, Daryl Days, and he was rattling off some of the names at the Nichols State staff when he was head coach and some of the guys that were on that uh, staff with him. And – there's a who's who, like the general manager of the Titans, and there's. But one of the guys on that list is the new interim coach, Mickey Joseph, at Nebraska. So he worked coach days at Nickel State. I'm reading all these guys are all successful. Why wouldn't the Cornhuskers against their arch rival, the Oklahoma Sooners, number six Sooners, come in? No rhyme or reason except I have family in Nebraska. There's nothing more they hate than Oklahoma. And that was one of the biggest, you know, they've had two quote unquote games of the centuries now. 1971, of course, neither one of us were around for. I've seen the, the Johnny Rogers tape, and I'm very familiar because i got family from Nebraska. Uh, I've seen that before. They had the series. They canceled the series because they're out of the league. This was a big deal coming back, but Nebraska has nothing to lose. It's at home. Oklahoma still. Brent Venerables trying to figure some stuff out. I'm going to pull for the shocking upset 
of Nebraska over Oklahoma? I think there would be nothing better than to cure the ills of Nebraska than to get rid of your golden boy, Scott Frost, come back with a victory with essentially, like you say, no real chance to win. All right, what's your second? Second one, uh, big Braves fan here. After a terrible West Coast swing, I think the Braves get back into the right column. They will sweep the Phillies and the Nats over the next six games. Freed is pitching twice in that series. I'm calling a sweep for both. Six. Six game sweep. Six game parlay for uh, Matt yep. Okay. Woo. I love bold predictions. All right. The last one, I, I think, you know, again, FCS fans are not going to find this bold. I still believe this will go down as bold because North Dakota State is going to Tucson, Arizona to take on the Arizona Wildcats. The Wildcats are going to be favored. They're against the Pac-12. This is a budget uh, that is laughable. A a probably the football budget for Arizona is probably all of North Dakota State's budget and probably then some. So I'm going North Dakota State goes in there, gets a true road win against Arizona. Would not surprise me in the least. Last week, Jay, I had I had written this out. I had written out that after the the near victory against UNC that App State would go down to Texas A&M and College Station and win. I was like, you know, there's no way that'll happen. I was like, that's even too bold for bold predictions. I took it out, and sure enough, it'll happen. The old Southern Conference, if you will. Yes. Marshall went at Notre Dame, App State at Texas A&M, and then Scott Frost got fired because he lost to Georgia Southern. All three teams that were fighting for the playoffs with ETSU in 96. Yes, and that is, I think, the, the, the key point for Buck fans and SoCon fans to take away is the SoCon puts out good football. I mean, it's good football, good programs. You know, I don't want to – all of those programs were hitting their stride. We took a step back. But I would say now, you know, we're at the top tier of the Southern Conference – I'd like to see us continue on in that. And, and I think we're at the level we need to be at, but I still like the idea of going out to the big boys and making some noise, maybe at a, a Mississippi State later this year. Well, let's go with your third one. Third one. And this one is for Kevin Brown. Uh, Green Bay is favored by 10 points against the Bears. Bears not only cover, they get the outright victory. Straight dub. Bay. I love it. So. Recap, I got an Osh Carter with a touchdown. Nebraska over Oklahoma. North Dakota State wins at Arizona. The law firm of Huzzy and Huzzy will figure out ways to find the end zone for Matt. The His Braves and Robert's Braves will sweep the Phillies' Nats. And then uh, he throws Kevin Brown a bone by giving the Bears a win. I noticed none of my teams. You ever put none of my teams in here? Can't. Nobody yeah. likes you. All right, uh, so Matt, your thoughts? Uh, Ten seconds. What do you got on the Hey, game? this is a great football team. Great, going to be a great day for football come Saturday. I really encourage ETSU fans to come out. If you're not at Bristol Motor Speedway, come fill Willie B. Green Stadium. It's going to be a great night of football in Johnson City. 7.30 kick, 6 o'clock pregame show on the Buccaneer Sports Network. We'll be back next week. We'll break down the game, ETSU Furman. We'll take a look around Southern Conference, give you our bold predictions recap. All that more on another edition of Sandos No Sidekick. Buccaneer Sports Network. <laughs>